0: You have your Bible this morning. Open it up to the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm seventy-three. It's a lengthy psalm, but I'm going to read it just so we can get all the uh, all the context of what's being said, what's happening. So, if you would look in uh, Psalm seventy-three, Psalm seventy-three, and I'll begin in verse one. It's a lengthy psalm, so I'll start, and <laughs> you'll catch up before I'm finished, probably. Uh, Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body uh, is, is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulges with fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and washed my hands in innocence." For all for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived therein. Surely you, let, you set them in slippery places. You cast them down in destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord. When aroused, you will despise their form. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Father, I pray today that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I was at an evangelism conference several years ago now, and the pastor of one of our larger churches in the SBC told this story. He said they were having a revival in their church, and uh, some of their members invited their neighbors, who were a young couple. This couple were not in church; they were were not Christians. The young lady was not a believer. The young man was raised in a in a religious tradition, but he had never really made a any kind of faith commitment, but they accepted the invitation of their neighbors to come. To the Revival service. And they came on Sunday. They came back on Monday. They came back on Tuesday. And on Wednesday of that week, they gave their lives to Christ. They were transformed. They were changed. They, they, had, uh, they had found the Lord, and their lives had been changed. And the man went to his mother, who was the matriarch of the family. His dad had passed away. Very wealthy family. She was the matriarch. He told his mother, what he had found in Christ. And his mother looked at him. She said, well, that's okay. But the day you get baptized is the day I call the lawyer and have you written out the family will. And so they began to attend church. They were growing in their faith. God was dealing in their hearts. And they came to the conviction that they had to make their profession of faith public through baptism and so they came forward present themselves for baptism and they were baptized as a testimony to what Christ had done in their life time passed several months mom the matriarch of the family passed away they are leaving the graveside when the family lawyer walks up to the couple and says I'm sorry for your loss But I couldn't leave without asking you a question. He said, were you baptized in that church? And the young man said, yes, I was. He said, I just want you to know that your mother heard that, and she called me up, and she had me write you out of the family will. That decision cost you two million dollars. What I want to know is this Was it worth it? And the young man looked at him and he said When I think of what Jesus did for me When I think of what he endured on the cross for me Two million dollars Is a small price to pay That's what the psalmist is dealing with here He's wrestling with this question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to live a life of faith? Is it worth it to be a a person of faith? Is it worth it? And he begins to look around and he begins this chapter by looking at what he calls the ungodly. Those who didn't believe in God or, or didn't worship God. He begins to look at him and and, of course, he's wrong, but, but he perceives that they've got life so easy. While they've got all the possessions you could want, life is just uh, just riding on a merry-go-round. It's, it's uh, cotton candy and unicorns. I mean, it's, they, they have no sickness. They have all they need they have all they want their children have no problems they never need braces they you know there's there's never anything wrong they ride around in the nicest cars or chariots or whatever whatever you know i mean they have to live in the biggest houses they don't even die hard they just their death is easy they've got it made in life and yet they are the ungodly And not only that, but they're arrogant. They oppress people. They speak in arrogant ways against God. They say things like, well, what does God know? That's really what he's saying. What does God know? Does God know anything? And they they walk in pride out the world. And he looks at them and he says, that's the ungodly. They prosper. And then he looks at himself. And he says, but I struggle. I'm trying to be a person of faith. I'm living a life of faith. And yet I struggle in life. And I have all kinds of struggles. And it seems like every morning when I get up, God chastens me. He disciplines me. And he said, I had almost slipped off the path. I'd almost slipped off the way of faith until something happened. What was it? He said, until I went to church. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then when he went to worship God, when he went into the sanctuary, God reminded him of some eternal truths. What do you think God reminded him of? Let me suggest some things that I believe as he, as he had that experience with God. Here's some things I believe he was reminded of as he went into the sex, uh, sanctuary. One is this. Life is more than what we possess. Life is more than what we possess. Now, there's a lot of people who who don't believe that. They think life is all about what we possess and gaining more things to possess. A few years ago, I was uh, driving through East Peoria. I came up to a a traffic light. There was a, a... big Cadillac in front of me at the traffic light and uh, I noticed on the back of the Cadillac was a bumper sticker. And the bumper sticker said this, he that has the most toys in the end wins. I thought, really? That's a philosophy of life, really is. He that has the most toys in the end wins. And what they're saying is, Uh, I see life as a competition and and at the end of of life if I've accumulated more stuff than you have I beat you in the game of life it's called materialism it's about what can I accumulate how much can I accumulate that's what life is about and I thought well I want to see this guy I want to check him out so the light changed I eased over in the other lane I kind of pulled up beside him I looked over and there's this little guy in there about 110, had his cap on, one foot on the, in, uh, one foot in the grave, one foot on the banana pill, and I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, how sad is that, guys? First of all, it's sad that he would put a bumper sticker on a Cadillac, that's sad, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'll never, I'll never understand that, but that's sad, but then, what's really sad is this, That here's this guy who would live his life, come to the end of his life, and say life is about accumulating stuff. That's sad. And yet I think that's the view of the people he's talking about here in Psalms. He's saying they're just all about what they possess. They're all about possessing more. And yet there are a lot of other people who believe that too, don't they? Life is just about stuff. And the problem is, it doesn't satisfy and it doesn't last, right? Tom, NFL season starting soon. Tom Brady is going to be playing again this year. 42 years old. Just signed an, uh, a contract extension, which will take him to 44 uh, as he plays. Six Super Bowls, three most valuable. Players. He owns a $20 million mansion. Has a moat around it. I don't know if it has gators in it or not, but he's got a moat around his $20 million mansion. Supermodel wife. Certain Hall of Famer one day when he quits. And yet he's still chasing it. And I wonder, what is it that drives him? Why does he want to keep going when uh, at this time? And I think the key is, I, I remember back in 2005, CBS Sports is doing a, an interview with Tom Brady. At that time, he had only won three Super Bowls. You know, what a loser. I mean... <laughs> He still had a $20 million home, still had the supermodel wife, and he's being interviewed. And, and uh, the, the interviewer, the lady, was asking him about all that he had accomplished and all that he had and all that he achieved. And she asked him, how did it feel? And he, he looked at her, and ladies and gentlemen, he said this. He said, I look at all that I have and all that I've accomplished and all that I achieve, and I say, is that it? Is that all there is? He says, and I think there's got to be something more. And the interviewer looked at him and said, Well, Tom, what do you think the something more is? And Tom Brady looked at her and said, I wished I knew. And I wanted to jump up and say, Tom, I know. I know what you're missing. You're you're accumulating all the stuff, but you're missing what's really ultimately valuable, what's really important in life because life is more than what we possess. And I don't know what what happens spiritually with Tom Brady, but I know this, that 14 years later, he's still chasing something because life's more than what we possess. But what could it be? Well, I think that's another lesson. And that is that God has created us to live in a personal relationship with Him. Blaise Pascal. Famous theologian. Before he was a famous theologian, he was a famous scientist. He was the toast of Europe. He was one of the most brilliant minds of Europe during the time that he lived. He created the first personal calculator at 12 years of age. His dad his dad was a bookkeeper and he he got tired of watching his dad you know strain his eyes and w- w- over the books and he he invented at the age of 12 a personal calculator for his father. He became the, the toast of the elites and the toast of the intellectuals of Europe. But as he began to to move in those circles, he saw the emptiness of their life. And he began to ask, there's got to be something more. And let's just say he had a conversion experience with Christ. You can read about it. But what I want you to get is this. He continued to be a scientist while at the same time being a theologian. And he developed, um, he worked in the area of of, of vacuums he became the father of vacuums I don't mean hoovers okay? I mean vacuums empty, emptiness he developed a hypodermic needle and he's the one that that ultimately wrote and after studying vacuums he, he, he wrote the, this statement it said this in every human heart there is a God shaped vacuum that only God can fill and we we word that differently. We talk about a hole in the soul of our generation or a hole in our heart or an emptiness, but he got it right. There's a god-shaped vacuum that every one of us was created with. But only God can fill. You remember when you had small children or you have small children now maybe. But uh, you know, one of the first toys we we uh, we bought ours was one of those uh, plastic balls. With the different shapes cut out in it, and and then they would try to put the corresponding plastic piece that filled or fit into that certain shape, you know. And so Amy, Laura, and Sarah, they'd be, you know, trying to put the square in the triangle, and you know all that. And then finally, they learn that this shape fits that space. And every time I think of that, I think that's what he was saying, that there's a place in my heart, there's a place in our soul that we were all created with because we were created to know God and live in a personal relationship with God that only he can fill that space. And until he fills that space, Until we have that relationship with him, we try to stuff all these other things in there. We try to use all these other things to fill the emptiness, to fill the void. And nothing works until God fills it. So I was picked up by the state patrol. Let me explain. (laughs) Not that anybody would gossip, but I just... Several years ago, our car broke down on seventy four. I'd taken our girls up to the Civic Center. I don't know if they still do this or not, but they they had the hockey game, <laughs> Christian concert night. You know, you remember those? It's kind of weird, you know. We're cheering for the fight, and then we're praising God. You know, I mean, it's a little bit little bit weird. But anyway, that bunch of youth were up there that night, and I dropped the girls off and. Our car broke down on the interstate. I was, in a danger, I was in a dangerous place, and so I called 911. They sent a uh, police officer over. A state patrolman came over while I was waiting for the tow truck. Finally, the tow truck arrives, and the state patrolman says, is there some place I can drop you? I said, well, if you'll take me back to the Civic Center and let me out, I, I know people that are there, my friends that are there. I can get a ride. So I'm riding the patrol car, front seat. <laughs> Just know that. And uh, the patrolman said this. He said, um, my son is at the Civic Center. I said, oh, did he go to the hockey game? He said, well, yeah, but he really went for the Christian concert. He, he and his friends are really there for the music. And I said, well, are, are you a believer? He said, well, I am now. He said, I was raised in church. I grew up in church. I had the same seat in church. I grew up, I married a girl from our church. We had our son. Every Sunday, I was in church. Every Sunday, I'm in church. He said, but a few years ago, my wife died. I still went to church. Still sat in the same pew. He said, but my son got involved in a youth group, Youth for Christ. And he came to know Christ through the Youth for Christ. And then whenever we would get in the car to travel somewhere, he would have Christian music on the radio. And he said, I began to listen to the words and the lyrics of the Christian music, and God was using that to open my heart. And he said, then I found when I was in the car by myself, I was still playing the Christian music. He said, one Sunday I'm in church doing my thing. Just going through the worship service, going through the ritual, the routine. He said, that Sunday we were having the Lord's Supper and they were dispensing the Lord's Supper. I was sitting in my my regular pew and they give us the bread, they give us the cup. He said, I'm sitting there, I'm holding the elements in my hands. When the pastor speaks these words, he says... This was for you. He says, I can't explain it. But in that moment, when he spoke those words, God opened my eyes. And for the first time in my life, I realized that what Jesus did for me was for me what he did on the cross was for me and i realized this isn't about just coming and sitting in a service or enduring a service or going through some ritual or going through some routine or having some kind of religious thought or some kind of concept of god but in that moment i realized it was personal and i gave my life to christ and my life has been changed Nothing fills the emptiness, guys, except God. We were created to know Him. We were created to live in a personal relationship with Him. It's not about what we possess. Life's more than that. It's because we were created to know God in a personal relationship. But not only that, Don't confuse the temporary with the eternal. Don't confuse the temporary with the eternal. And I think really when you read this, that's really the point of this psalm. They had confused the temporary. They were were accumulating all the stuff, somehow thinking that's what life was about. But you know what, guys? At the end of life, All that goes away. It's just temporary. And there's still an eternity out there that we need to prepare for. When we were here uh, and our children were small, Becky went back to teaching school. Uh, She had stopped teaching when the children came along. and Then we had two children that were in school. A third one that was a year out. And we began to pray it separately, didn't even know this, but we were praying and God showed us separately that he wanted her to go back to teaching. And God opened a position for her at uh, Peoria Christian School. Uh, Two of the children went with her. Laura still had a year before she was in school, so we had a sitter that she would go with when we needed her. And I'll never forget the first day of school. Becky and the girls get ready. They're about to walk out of the door of the parsonage over there on Dallas Road. And uh, before they walk out, Sarah looks at Laura and says this Laura, when I'm gone, don't you go play with my toys. And Laura, you kind of have to know her, just smiled and nodded her head. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And they walked out of the door in the garage, and she's waving by. And the garage door goes up, and she runs to the front window, and they're backing out, and she's waving by. And they pull back out on Dallas Road, and she's waving by, and they start to leave, and she's just waving by, by, by. And as soon as they're out of sight, she runs down the hallway and starts playing with Sarah's Toys. Learned a lesson that day. You know what the lesson is? Gardener, when you're gone, somebody else is going to play with your toys. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. It's temporary, guys. All the stuff is temporary. He talks about these people who had all this stuff. And there came a day, there are no, you've heard this, there are no, you've never seen a U-Haul in a funeral procession. It's all gone. It's temporary. It's left. It, 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 it's not ours. So we've got to invest in what is lasting and what is eternal. And I think that's the main lesson he learned that day is don't focus on the temporary. Those things are nice. We all want a, a home. We all want we need transportation. We, we want those things in life. We want jobs and we want those kinds of things. But they're not our God. They're not our main focus. Our main focus is to know God and to live in light of eternity. You see, there's a heaven, there's a hell. You don't hear that a lot anymore. You hear about the heaven part. You don't hear a lot about the alternative. I was interim pastor of a church. The pastor had been there for 13 years and he very proudly uh, bragged, in 13 years, I never mentioned the word hell. You know what they heard about the third week I was there? The rest of the story. See, he's only giving them half the story. There's, there's an eternity. There's a destiny. And it's determined by what we do with Christ in this life. Do we have that personal relationship with, with Christ, with God through Christ? There's separation from God for eternity. That's a reality. But there's also heaven. And the psalmist says, yes, I I have my struggles. I don't have the stuff that that some other people have. But I've got eternity with God that we can't describe. Someone posted, I, I saw a sign outside of a, I don't know if it was a restaurant or what it was, where they took the picture, but it had a Chick-fil-A sign on the bottom, and they had a Krispy Kreme donut sign on top. So Krispy Kreme, Chick-fil-A. And he put, is this heaven? And I responded, no, but just think how much better heaven's going to be if we can have that, think how much better heaven is it's beyond our imagination it's for all eternity it is with God don't lose focus on that which really matters don't sacrifice the eternal for the temporary E.M. Bartlett I may close this I promise I'm not going to lie I say I may E.M. Bartlett wrote a Song that's popular hymn that's popular that we like to sing his son was Gene Bartlett is Gene Bartlett Gene was the music leader worship uh, consultant for Oklahoma Baptist for years um, in Oklahoma City Gene's dad E.M. who wrote the hymns uh, passed away his mother Began to decline in health. He had to put her in a, in a care facility. And one day, Jean Bartlett is at the office. He gets a call from the nurse at the care facility. And she says, Jean, you need to come. Your mom's failing. We don't think she's going to make it much longer. You need to come. And so he got in his car. He drove over there. He walks in the room. His mom is laying there, looks like she's sleeping. And says, he walks over to her and he leans in and he whispers in her ear, Mom, it's Jean. I'm here, it's it's Jean, I'm, I'm here. And he says, her eyes open. And she looks at him and actually speaks his name. And then after a while... Her eyes close. She goes silent. She goes still. And they think she may have slipped into eternity. But then all of a sudden, her eyes open. And he said they were clear. They were, they were focused. They, the bright blue eyes of his mother were, were shining with recognition and said, In the clearest, strongest voice she had had in years, she began to sing the hymn that his dad had written. It was these words. I heard an old, old story about a Savior that came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save and then she went silent and she passed away. The nurse looked at Jean and said, Jean, I'm sorry. Jean, I am so sorry. And he looked at her and said, what are, what are you sorry about? She says, Jean, I'm sorry your mom didn't get to finish the song. He said, but she is. But now it's a duet with that. Come to the end of your life. Do you have hope? Do you have faith? Do you have peace? Do you have assurance? Or do you look around and say, I've got a bunch of stuff I'm leaving behind. Because ladies and gentlemen, in this life, only what's done for Christ lasts. Where are you going to invest your time? What are you going to invest your life in? Pursuing something out there that never satisfies or focusing on the eternal that we enjoy forever. I'm going to ask our worship leaders to come. We're going to sing a hymn of response. What is a hymn of response? Well, we sing a hymn and you get the response. What do we respond to? What God is saying. What God God is saying, not the quality of the sermon. I I was intro at Morton recently, and there was a guy who said, every week I'll give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down, you know. It's not whether you're giving me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It's what is God saying to you? Is he touching an area of your life? Are you prepared for eternity? What are your priorities in life? What are you living for? What, is, what makes your life worth living? Is it the right thing or not? And if it's not, you need to respond. And put God in the proper place in his life and everything else, according to Matthew 6.33, is added to us. Let's stand. Let's stand.